We are very grateful for the presenters that we have this morning on what is perhaps the most important presentations of the seminar. It's strengthening the home base. If you look at what God called Noah to do, it says he was called on a mission to build a boat to the saving of his household. If God has called us to medical evangelism, he's called us to the saving of our homes. Medical evangelism is not out of of our home. It's not one more thing that we have to add to our plate. It's the one thing that can save us and those who hear us. Uh, beginning our presentations will be a very thoughtful, helpful presentation from Dr. Schwartz, who is a wife and a physician, and will share with us the key ingredient to a strong home and strong medical evangelism. You know, um, I thought this was going to be just women. So if this sounds kind of feminine, for some of you men, just bear with us. (laughs) Um, How many of you in here are physician wives? Physicians. (laughs) Not, Not physicians' wives, but how many of you are physicians as well as wives? Physician as well as wife. Okay, so so we have something in common, physicians as well as wives. Um, and as I thought about uh, what I was, was going to do about this, I, I really was, um, as Phil will tell you, quite a, a reluctant participant today because I didn't think I really had anything to say as a, since I'm a physician and I'm on the, always on the other side of the fence, as I told uh, Phil. It was hard to, to think about... Um, about this particular side. Although um, the Lord has really impressed me over the years that there is one thing that's really important. And that's what I want to talk about today. I'm going to start with prayer, but I want to just point out three texts before we do, and I'm sorry again for the men, but for the men, you can go home and tell your wives that there are three texts that wives now know about. I don't want you to open your Bibles yet. I do hope you have your Bibles with you. But um, there's a hard book to find, and I have a hard time finding it. It's Proverbs. And I'm sure you're not surprised that these three texts are found in Proverbs. Uh, But the first one is found in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. And my Bible has really suffered from travel, and it's now the loose-leaf edition. In fact, there were some looser leaves this morning, and really, I just don't know what to do about that. It's like my security blanket. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. That's one text. Then uh, verse chapter 12 
verse uh, 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. <laughs> and so certainly I think we all want to be the crowns of our husbands. The last text in Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 and 11. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. So what I want to notice is that it says that who can find a virtuous wife? And as we are wives, we don't want to be just the rottenness in the bones wife. And sometimes I can be the rottenness in the bones wife. Uh, but we want to be excellent wives and virtuous wives. That, that's what we want to be. And so the question I want to explore a little bit is um, how do we become this virtuous wife? In my margin, it says, uh, in, uh, under Proverbs 31, it says, a woman of valor. And then it says, in the sense of all forms of excellence. All forms of excellence. That's what, that's what we're, we're called to do. I'm going to have you open to the Gospel of Paul. And as I have uh, come to appreciate the writings of Paul, I believe uh, it is the Gospel of Paul. I don't have time to go into today to why that is the case, but, but Paul is one of the Gospels. And he is the fifth gospel in all his writings. But in Ephesians especially, I want you to, to look over in chapter uh, 1, and we'll be looking at from verses 15 to verse 18 very quickly. But Paul has explained very carefully, I believe, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 3 to verse 14, the incredible, incredible, indescribable riches that we have in Christ. And then he is so enthralled and overwhelmed by everything that we have in Christ that then he proceeds to have a benediction. And this particular prayer is a benediction. And he says, verse 15, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And I believe that the hope of his calling for us, as what we read in Proverbs, is to be excellent virtuous wives the hope of his calling the hope of his calling is many things but we have been given a job um, to do and the job we have right now is to be excellent virtuous wives and before we go any further I want to have prayers we get started father in heaven I praise you for who you are and who you are for, to us and for all your attributes that are just past comprehension and as we as our group begins to look into the word today to find out what it means to be a virtuous, excellent wife, I just pray that you'll send your Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that we will understand the hope 
of this particular calling today. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay. I want you to stay in Ephesians for a minute because I want you to go over to the second prayer in the Gospel of Ephesians, and it's the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And this is, a, this is a tremendous prayer. This is one I think that's worth actually memorizing. Because as you begin to look into this particular prayer here in Ephesians chapter 3, I think I'll give us strength and courage for any situation that we find ourselves in. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14, from whom the whole family in earth and heaven is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in agape may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the agape of Christ which passes all knowledge, and there's a reason that he wants us to be able to grasp this incredible agape. It says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he said he wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what is the fullness of God? Just let me just real quick, just get a little interaction here. When you read this, and he says that he wants us to grasp, he can't even describe the agape, and he said that this agape is so wide and so high and so broad and so immeasurable that we need to comprehend this so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. What does he want us to be filled with? What is the fullness of God? Anybody care to volunteer? What is the fullness of God? His character. Very nice. I like that. His character. Okay, the fullness of God. Okay. Yes. His love. God is love. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So we have a character and we hear love. And I believe love is the character. And that's the central ingredient of the, the character. Okay. Now, for the next few minutes, I just really want to really delve a little bit more deeply into this concept of the fullness of God because I believe we've been called to, to be these virtuous, excellent wives. And he asks us to be, have the fullness of God. Somehow they may be one and the same thing. So everyone here had a wedding, right? Did everybody here have a wedding? Did you enjoy your wedding? I loved my wedding. It was a great wedding. I loved my wedding. Now, the men may not appreciate this. Why is it the men are sitting over here and the women are sitting over here? <laughs> I, just, I made that comment earlier. It's a Hebrew group. It's a Hebrew group. Okay, that's, that's true. Okay, that's great. Okay. Okay. I know for sure. I'll ask this next question. Does... Do you women and you men still enjoy a great love story? Amen. Don't we just all love a love story? I love a great, good, clean love story. In fact, my favorite love story on earth is the sound of music. It's the greatest thing on earth. Some of that's a very, but that's a tremendous love story, and I love a good love story. But so today, I want to look at the greatest love story ever told, and that is the story of... of uh, the courtship of God. So I want to talk about today is the courtship of God. So let's uh, first set the record straight that when we open the Bible, I can hardly pick this up because it truly is falling apart. You won't believe how badly it's falling apart. But when we pick up this book, 
This is his story. It's not my story. We like to get ourselves in the picture. See, some people are always looking to make sure they're in the picture. They're always trying to get in the picture. But this is his story. And this Bible, the story we have here is his story. And this is the story of his courtship with us. And so I want to start in the beginning. And the interesting thing, the beginning is in John chapter 1. I want you to turn over to John chapter 1. I hope you have your Bibles with you, some of you, because if you don't have, those of you who don't have a Bible with you, maybe you can look on over somebody's shoulder. But I want to start the story the way I believe it began, and it's in the beginning. And every love story begins in the beginning, right? And so John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. I don't know if you've ever sat and thought about what that means, but I think it's very important to grab hold of what that means. Because as we begin to look at the courtship of God and the incredible calling he's called us to, we only have a, a good understanding as we understand what it means that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Well, Our minds are so finite, we can't quite comprehend what it means that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, which took place sometime way, way far away. This in the beginning refers to something way far away. Now we know from Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 that God the Father is called the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days means he's pretty old, right? To call him elderly seems to kind of make him look too ordinary but certainly he was the ancient of days forever young old so he was the ancient of days and we also know in Colossians it says that he was before all things were he was so before all things there was God okay this text tells us that in verse 3 that something was made So all of a sudden we realize that there are two times that are going on. And I want you to picture in your mind for me a line, a vertical line, a horizontal, excuse me, a horizontal line, a horizontal line. That horizontal line represents creation. I do mean vertical, don't I? Well, you know, with me, it's all the same. Vertical, horizontal, it's short. Anyway. So, yes, a vertical line. I want you to picture with me a vertical line, creation. And if you begin to look towards your left, if you think about your left, before all things were, way before all things were, and then from that vertical line to your right is all things that were made. And you begin to wonder what was happening all that time that there were things before all things, what was going on before all that time? Have you ever began to wonder what could have possibly been going on in heaven with the ancient of days before all things were ever made? I think it's very important to look at that, to look at, to get a handle on that, uh, what was going on in creation, um, excuse me, in before, before creation. I want you to turn over and look at Zechariah chapter 13. Now, So far as the women go, I want you to really begin to appreciate one thing, and that is that the study of the word is our anchor. I believe that strongly. It's been my anchor, and I'll share something with you at the end as we begin to apply this practically to wives. 
how that anchor makes us different, how it makes us think differently. But Zechariah chapter 13, I want you to look very quickly at verse 7. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. Now, what's going on in this verse? There are two beings being talked about, right? One of them, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. Who's the one that's speaking? It's God the Father. God the Father is speaking, and the my shepherd and my companion is God the Son. And so we hear, here have Zechariah, this prophet Zechariah, hearing this tempestuous proclamation, which is what this is, through the prophetic heavens, centuries before there was even an incarnation, we have Zechariah beginning to, to give us a window into the mind of God the Father. And what's happening here with God the Father is God the Father is beginning to, to look down through time and recognize that there would come some point in time when he and God the Son would have a painful experience. And then I want you to look a little bit more at the passage. It says, against the man who is my companion. Now, I don't know what translations you have, but some translations have more accurately, the one who is my closest friend. My closest friend. The one who is my closest friend. And the, the, the Hebrew word that's used there is amith. That's spelled A-M-I-T-H, I believe, or something like that. But it's amith. And that's the one who is my closest friend. This denotes great intimacy in the Godhead. It's very important for us to recognize that there was incredible intimacy in the God, Godhead. As you look at from that vertical line to your left, what you're seeing is that what was going on before creation was a relationship, a fellowship amongst this triune God. There was a love amongst this triune God that we can't even begin to imagine. There was intimacy in the Godhead. Now that's a very important thing to hang on to, that there was not some distant floating off in space on a cloud and they're doing their own thing. There was an intimacy involved. In fact, looking from, from Christ's perspective, Jesus Christ described, we won't have time to, to go and look at that, but he describes in John chapter 17 verse 24 that, that the Father loved him from the foundation of the world. And then we have a description um, in Proverbs chapter 8. He, Jesus Christ is saying that he was the Father's delight. And that he, they, they, they rejoiced together and played together and did all kinds of things together from before time began. This was a dynamic, intimate fellowship that the Godhead had before time began. And so as we look then at John chapter 1 where we were, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word Jesus Christ was with God. And that was an intimate fellowship that God the Son and God the Father had. We're also told, though, uh, later on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, tells us that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So it lets us know that there's going to be a change, that God, is who was with the Father, had every right to be with his Father, that intimate, the same kind of level of, of relationship that they had. Now, something was going to happen that would necessitate a change. Now it would be God with us. And that would represent just a tremendous sacrifice. 
I want you to begin to look here. We're going to spend the rest of our minutes together in, in the book of Genesis, the first three chapters. I want to start with Genesis chapter 1 and point out some interesting things in Genesis chapter 1, 2 and 3. And we, I want to look at Genesis chapter 1. What made the change then from, from in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and now all of a sudden that word is with us. What made the difference? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, we have uh, uh, another in the beginning, verse 1. In the beginning, and now we know that something must have happened because there's now creation. Now that vertical line has intercepted all eternity. And now there's a vertical line. And as we all know, uh, we have been it's been described in Scripture that there was something that took place bad in heaven. There was a war in heaven, a war of ideas. I don't believe this was guns and I don't know what kind of weapons people have, but this wasn't a war of weaponry. This was a war of some idea that was different than what the Godhead had in mind. And so we have here now in the beginning, and it says, whoa, I almost lost my fragile Bible. I guess I shouldn't... Uh, Rest on that so much. I didn't lose anything important, I don't think. This is the part of the loose leaf, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I think I'll stop. Uh, I'll go like that. Okay. Now, I want you to notice something interesting. It says here, in the beginning, um, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and then it says, God, verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And God saw the light, verse 4, it was very good. And then God divided the light from the darkness. And God uh, called the light day, verse 6. And God said, um, verse 6, then verse 7 again, this God made the firmament and so forth, on down. As you can look through this, it says, and God said, verse 11, let the earth bring forth grass. And all through this whole passage, it uses a word and says, and God said, now, this is very important. What is the word that's being used there? In fact, 32 times in Genesis chapter 1 and, verse, and Genesis chapter 2, the word God is used. And when that is, says, and God said, what is that word that's being used? Is what? The word God there is Elohim. Elohim. Now, does anybody know what Elohim means? Elohim means master ruler. Master ruler. It's also used to describe magistrates or judges. It's the master ruler. I have the right and I can declare this to happen. It sounds like a fairly cold term, master ruler. And God said, and God created all these things. Now, chapter 2 comes along, and I think something is very important in chapter 2. Chapter 2... Again, verse 1 to 3 begins to reiterate um, the creation story again. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and then he made the seventh day and he blessed it. That's verse 3. And it says, And God said. Now verse 4. I want you to notice something very important. Verse 4 said, This is the history of the, of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, what's the difference between God in Genesis chapter 1 and the Lord God in Genesis chapter 2? The difference is the word, the Lord God. 
And when it says the Lord God there, the difference there in Hebrew is Yahweh. Now what does Yahweh qualify or modify about God? Now what we have is where we had the master ruler God, now we have Yahweh God. And that is the covenant relational God. That is the covenant relational God. And that's a very important qualifier as we begin to look at these things because now we have something. The story in, in Genesis chapter 2 is being repeated. The creation story is being repeated again. And why would you repeat it again? And that's because in Genesis chapter 2, we want to get a little bit more deeper into what it means that God is entering into human history. So we have first, we have the master ruler. Now he says, I'm going to tell you the real story, the real um, deal that God wants to communicate with his creation. So then in verse 7... We have, and the Lord God, Yahweh, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now this is very important. This verse is very important. We don't just have the master ruler now doing something, making um, his creation, his, his, making Adam. We have the covenant relational God getting down into the dirt. And he begins to form this man out of the dust of the ground that he's just created, just made this dirt. And he begins to, to make Adam out of this dirt that he has just made. And there are several, I think, very important points to, to recognize. First of all, he carefully forms Adam. He gives him a mouth. He gives them ears so he can hear him. He goes, gives him eyes so he can see him. See him. Make, give, puts everything just exactly the way he wants it to be. And then Adam, looking into the eyes of Yahweh, the covenant relational God, looks in the eyes of Yahweh, and unknowing, he doesn't even know what he sees, but he sees such love as he looks into the eyes of Yahweh. But God, as he's looking back into Adam, recognizes that in making Adam, he has committed himself to a different form forever. First, he was with God the Father, and now he's going to be God with us. And so as God the Father is looking, he is recognizing that this will always be, for eternity, Emmanuel, God with us. And so as the creation begins to progress, we realize that there is a shift in creation. When John chapter 3 verse 16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we don't really recognize how important that is because he didn't just lend him to us, he gave him to us. The relationship that he had with as God the Father and God the Son together would forever be changed. It would never be the same again. It would always be completely different, God with us. And then when it says in Philippians chapter 2 that God the Father, that Jesus Christ stepped down and he emptied himself and he joined himself to the human race, he didn't just empty himself of, of all the riches and, and whatnot of heaven, he emptied himself of the right to fellowship with his Father the way he had always done previously in all of eternity past. And then Luke, I, want, I do want you to turn over to Luke chapter 22 because this will pertain to what we talk about here in a minute. But Luke chapter 22, in fact, as we look at what he did in coming down and, and joining himself to the human family, Luke chapter 22, one of my favorite texts, verse 27 says, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you 
as the one who serves. And so Jesus Christ left heaven, emptied himself of, of his right to fellowship with his Father, and came to serve humanity. Now I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 2, and we'll look at something a little bit more closely here in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, it says, And the Lord said, It is not good for man that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. We'll come back to that when we talk about our practical points in a minute. Then he said, out of the ground, he says it again, he formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and so forth. And then he came down, um, and it says there in verse 20, so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. But the point I want to get to is verse 24. Verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Therefore it says a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I want you to show you something interesting that some of you have seen before I know and but some of you may not have seen this. Keep your hand in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Has anyone in here not heard a sermon on Ephesians chapter 5? Can you tell me what it says? The sermon. Ah, submission. It says, the sermon I've heard, wives, submit to your husbands. Is that what it says? It's exactly what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is the greatest passage on earth. Not because it says, wives, submit to your husbands. This is a tremendous passage. But let me show you something about this passage. It goes on, talks about wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And, and then it talks about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Look down at verse 31. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We just read that before in Genesis, right? Look now at verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. As we begin to get our minds around this passage, it says that Jesus Christ left the side of his father and he left the relationship that he had with his father forever and became joined to his wife, the church. The love was so great that he had that he left the heavenly thrones with his father and he came down and became joined to the human family, the church, his bride. That's how much he loved. So when we look in Genesis chapter 2, he's asking husbands to do exactly what he did. He left something he had by native right and he joined himself to the human family. I want you to go back over there then now to, to Genesis um, chapter, chapter 3 now. Now, obviously, something went wrong, and we begin to read in Genesis chapter 3 that the, that the serpent, we don't have time to talk about this, but we have here that the serpent um, <clears throat> was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God 
said to you that of every tree of the garden you shouldn't eat? Now what did he say? Has God said to you? What did he say? Has that master ruler said to you, you can't eat of every tree in the garden? And Eve and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of, of, of all the trees, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said. She picked up on that right away, that the master ruler said, you can't do this. Instead of the person that she had come to know as the Lord God, now she says, yes, that master ruler said that we can't eat of that. And as a matter of fact, I think he also said, you can't even touch it. I think he said you can't touch it. And she begins to wonder, how dare that master ruler say I can't even touch it? And so then we continue on and says, and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now it's interesting that that die there, I believe that die says you'll die instantly, but that die says you will not die, die. For emphasis, it says you will not die, die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And then uh, verses 5 and 6, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We don't have time to get into this verse. This is a whole talk all on its own. But I want, I'm going to focus on verse 6 because we'll come back to this as we, as we talk about wives and, and how we can impact our homes. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave it to her husband. We'll come back to that verse. And then it says, the eyes of both of them were now opened. And I want you to notice that the first seamstress in history was Eve. Because it says that they sewed fig leaves for themselves. So that's the first thing. So she sewed these fig leaves. Sewing is tough. I can make window treatments. I'm good at that. But I can't sew clothes. It's very interesting. I can't make clothes. I don't know. Nothing ever seems to fit right. But they sewed these fig leaves for themselves. Now, at this point in time, let me just read verse 8 first. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now, at this point, there were two options that, we could, that I could think of. I think that most of us can probably think of several options, but let me bring out two options that were available at this, this point. The master ruler could have said, that's it, you know, I, I made this perfect creation for you people, you know, and I provide everything for you. I just gave you one treat to you. Stay away from it. You didn't. You're out of here. You're done. I'm starting over. You're done. I'm out of here. He could have done that, right? The master ruler had every right to do that. On the other hand, option two, the Lord God could have said, oh, this is all my fault. You know what? I, I didn't give you enough instructions. I should have warned you about that serpent. I knew he was out there. I should have told you, given more information. In fact, you know what? I should have told you about that tree, what it means, and it was all my fault. I tell you what, let's just start over. 
new garden, new tree. Let's just forget the whole thing. Let's just start over. Neither of those two options would have served his purposes. And what I want to say is that I believe he chose the best option, which is the fullness of God. And the fullness of God option is the only option. Because the fullness of God option meant that there had to be a cross. And as we read and we turn the page and we read, he had to slay a lamb. Now, sometime, different time, you can study about what the cross means. But the fullness of God was his ability to demonstrate that the cross of Christ was the answer to everything. Let me just read some of the things I wrote down. By dying on the cross, Christ displayed God's love and did all that was necessary for us to participate in God's love. Now we more fully understand how the fullness of God was perfectly revealed through a God-forsaken man taking the curse upon himself and dying the equivalent of the second death on our behalf. For the fullness of God is most fundamentally the fullness of his eternal triune love. That love that we talked about from in the beginning. The fullness of God then is fundamentally the fullness of his eternal triune love. We also understand how God's power was most perfectly displayed in allowing himself to be crucified at the hand of sinners. For God's power is simply the power of his love. We also understand that God's glory was most perfectly revealed in the other, in the, excuse me, in the utter shame of the crucified one. For God's glory is most fundamentally the radiance of his incomprehensible love. And now we also understand how God's beauty is most perfectly revealed in the horror of his executed son. For God's beauty is nothing other than the magnificence of his love on display. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, we have a great verse. It says that the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? In the Hebrew, that call is not just, you know, you call your kids sometimes. I'm going to call you once. I'm not going to say it again. You come when I call you. Did anybody's parents ever tell them that? Now you do it too? My parents, we didn't get the one, two, three thing. Americans are funny. Americans give kids the option. I'll give you three chances. I'm going to call you once, twice, thrice. But after that, something might happen. There might be number four. In my family, it was you got called one time, you responded, or else. I'm a West Indian. I was born to a West Indian home. If any of you understand West Indians, you know how it is. That in the Hebrew there, when it says that God called, in the Hebrew, that is a sustained, perpetual calling. He perpetually sustained this calling after Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you? Some of you are familiar, I think we're all familiar, with the Sistine Chapel, the painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Famous. Have you studied it? 
It is the finger of God and the finger of Adam. In fact, you know, I was very inspired and touched. The Sabbath school quarterly, have, then for this next upcoming, I'm a Sabbath school teacher at my church. The upcoming quarter, the picture on the front is a picture of a globe, the world. And then there's the finger of God extending out. Well, on the Sistine Chapel, some people have said that that finger of God and Adam's reaching finger represents God creating mankind. Well, if you look at the picture closely, what you see is the finger of God reaching, 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 and he's rolling on the clouds and he's reaching for all he's worth. And you see Adam kind of half-heartedly. His finger is kind of limp and his arm is kind of limp. But God is reaching and reaching, reaching. Where are you? And I believe that the gospel from the very beginning has been the good news that God has been reaching and being short. If you're tall, you don't get this. But I've had to reach, reach before in the grocery store till I think I've strained something. But he's been reaching every second of every day. I should say probably every millisecond, every nanosecond of every day. Sustained, perpetual reaching. Now I want to highlight some points that I have learned from Genesis in looking at being a virtuous wife. My nature is not like the nature of Jesus Christ that was willing to empty himself of his any concerns that he may have to reach down to mankind. And so I've had to draw my strength and my instruction from Scripture. And that's the only place I can possibly get it, is from Scripture. And so as I look at the first point, I want to draw your attention, first of all, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where it says that the earth was void and darkness covered the face of the earth. If you have ever felt that you did not have it in you to live the Christ-like life, that it was void and there was darkness, God has the power to speak into that darkness, that void, and create something that was not priorly there. Is priorly a word? That was not there priorly, whatever. He has the ability and the desire to reach into your life and do something for you that's not there naturally. Some of us are naturally shy. Some people are naturally selfish. I am naturally selfish. God can reach into that void and do something. Because as we minister to our families or husbands, we are full of self. There is my time and my stuff and whatever. And so in that void, God can create something beautiful out of absolutely nothing. Number two. So the first point is that, that, that God can reach in and create something that you don't think you naturally have. You're not a great cook. He can make you a great cook. Because you know what? Haystacks are a great meal. Now, I love to cook. It's a complete meal. And it's quick. But haystacks are a great meal. Companies coming for dinner. One of the things I had that was difficult for me was when people showed up all of a sudden. Now, 
I love to welcome people into my home, and I love to cook. And when I do it, I want it to be beautiful. And if it's not beautiful, I don't have the flowers and so forth. I think, Brian, we can't have anybody over. They just show up. Send them away. Happened to us recently. And Brian was very proud of me, by the way. I have to confess, he was very proud of me. Somebody showed up on our doorstep with their two children. They were going to, they just happened to be in the area. You think someplace around, you know, I don't know, Toledo, they can call and say, hey, we're two hours from your house. We'll be there. And I can go get the flowers and I can do it like I like. But nobody called. And they show up on our doorstep and Brian said, guess who's here? And I'm like, ah! and you know what? I was calm. And it wasn't because I'm calm. God reached into my life and he did something for me that I could not do all by myself. I like things to be done perfectly, but he can do something. Number two, as Jesus emptied himself and left the heavenly throne, left the relationship with his father, that he deserved and emptied himself on our behalf and he became in fact poor on our behalf we also can empty ourselves in service because he said that he was amongst us as the one who serves it is very difficult for us to kind of try to figure out what it means to serve one another but we need to serve and wives need to serve um And wherever we are, whatever, wherever we are in our homes, our communities, our churches, there is some act of service. As I listened to um, Rod Willie talk today, I thought I was tired, thinking he passes this church and he's a full-time dentist. I'm like, I'm exhausted. But God has given us a ministry and we can actually do something for him. Number three, as we behold the radiant beauty of the love of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that we are transformed into his love. We become loving people. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. This is a really important one. I'm a normal person, okay? I will confess that I am a human being. And sometimes my husband does some things that can be irritating. Don't men sometimes do things that are irritating? They do. For some reason, they seem to do things that are just not quite right. My natural response is to treat him not as God treats him, but to nitpick. It is my natural response. That's a confession. It's good for the soul. And to find fault. It's also easy to find fault with other people. But somehow as we become, as we look in that mirror and transformed by the beauty and the radiance of the love of God that we talked about, as we are transformed by that, something happens to our cold, selfish human hearts that allows us to respond the way he responds. And that's the response that I believe that we're called to. That virtuous wife responds the way Christ would respond. It's not easy all the time, every single last day, every minute, every second of every single last day. Because sometimes you want to express yourself and speak the truth. But we can speak the truth in love. Now let me come to one I think that's very important. And that's the one in uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave it to her husband. 
I'm going to say something that may sound a little bit controversial, not quite right. But you know what? I believe that the spiritual grounding in the home is up to the wife. As wives, we have tremendous influence over our husbands. And that has come home to me over and over and over again. We have tremendous influence in our homes for uh, good. And by our daily um, time, spending time in the word of God, we can bring something to our relationships that we would not ordinarily. And so I want to encourage you as wives, and as you take care of the daily routine of the dishes and the laundry and the, well, the shopping and everything, that we spend time to become committed to the word because we can, have a, we can be a powerful force for evil or for good and we take responsibility for, for those things. And I want to end by just, again, drawing our attention to the Sistine Chapel that we talked about, where God has always been reaching, reaching, reaching for lost mankind. And as wives also, we can reach, reach for those people in our sphere that we can impact. Thank you. She wanted to tell me no. And, uh, and in fact, um, she, she hinted at it uh, a couple times. Aren't you glad that she, uh, she didn't leave her no answer and was willing to share with us? Now we have, um, I, I, I'll tell you why I have a burden for this is because I know what my wife has done to change me. Not because she was trying to change me, but uh, unconsciously. Uh, I'm a completely different person because of the godly woman that God gave me. And so I am uh, grateful that we have wives here strengthening the home base. It's not easy. We're not, uh, Lindy here is uh, a wife, also a professional, a physician. It's not easy being married to a man, period. But to be married to a, a, a physician, it's, uh, it's, it has its particular challenges. And so I'm grateful that there were a number of wives of physicians who are willing to share with us this morning just briefly on some ideas they have found most helpful in strengthening the home base. Let's just start. We have uh, some here. Maybe we should start with uh, Natalie uh, since she is the, the one with the greatest experience. And uh, um, we appreciate her being willing to be here. I appreciated Dr. Weaver's presentation this morning. Uh, the Lord has given us these experienced people for our benefit. What he really means is let's start with the senior citizen. I'm going to go from a little different angle, and that is I'm going to include the children. I think the wife was handled well, but I probably have more family than most of you have, and that is that I have six children, I have 17 grandchildren, and I have 11 great-grandchildren that I'm all involved with. That's my ministry as far as I'm concerned. 
because I think if we take nothing but our families to heaven, we have done a service. And this is so very important, and that doesn't come by accident. That only comes because of prayer, of involvement, and of, of close relationships that you establish with them. In fact, I have to tell you, the phone rang. Art gave me this phone because he was up here. I don't know how to turn it off. I don't know how to even use it. I know that if you open it, it stops ringing. That's how much I know. <laughs> and so I quickly opened it, of course. That was a grandson at Southern University calling me to say, Grandma, I want to make potato salad for a whole group this afternoon. How do you make it? <laughs> I mean, out of the clear blue. <laughs> so that's the kind of relationship that I feel I have with my grandchildren and my children also. Uh, but I'll tell you, we have opened our home ever since we were married just because we are people Persons. My husband's a people person. You can't overload him with people. He doesn't need any downtime. And so, therefore, I can always have people around. And uh, so when we had the children, I wondered how in the world we were going to carry on these classes and still involve the children. So what did they do? We went to, to every single program with him, sat on the back row, did our homework, used him, used the children as much as we could to do the announcing, but we involved the children. And we still involve the grandchildren. We go on mission trips, we take the grandchildren. When I do cooking schools, I use the grandchildren. I used, uh, Nikki was four years old when we were making bread. And uh, I tell you, she would get up here and she would kneel. Now that's impressive to people. If she can make bread, maybe I can try to make bread. So you see, this is what it does. But it, it shows the people out there what a working family you are. And that's why, to me, it's so very important. Um, we've always taken non-Adventists non are probably our, our biggest association because we just almost live with them. We bring them into our homes. If they have trouble smoking, I have a bedroom. If, if they need meals to get over their problems or their illnesses, I bring them in. So we have always had our home open. I know everybody can't do that, but my husband is, like I say, he's a people person, and you can't people him to death because he, he just loves it. If he wants to, to turn you off, he just turns his ears off. And the kids have a saying, Daddy has his ears turned off, you know. <laughs> but um, every Sabbath we bring, oh, he talked about his Bible study. Let me tell you about his Bible study on Sabbath. Uh, we, those are almost all non-Adventists. I think maybe one was baptized and is still staying in his class. And he has about anywhere from maybe 8 to 10 to 12 and maybe more. But it varies. Um, I bring all of those home every single Sabbath. So every Sabbath and every Sabbath and every Sabbath that we're there, and we try not to miss Sabbaths. We will come out, we will leave and do things in the middle of the week, but we want to be home to our own home church for Sabbath. Um, and then I bring the single ladies home from church. I bring the single men home from church. Uh, cooking is my thing. I can cook uh with very little effort, and I'm also an organized person. Um, 
and I have fun. I just have fun cooking and sharing, and and uh, and I keep it simple. That's the other thing. I think you have to keep your house simple, because I, I'm not a flower girl. <laughs> I'm I use the same. I use yardage for tablecloths, polyester yardage that can be thrown in, and I don't have to iron it. You know what I mean? I'm just very very um, simple as far as my presentation because for one thing when you have people over every week and every week and every week you have got to convey to them that this is not putting you out the first people the first time they come they'll say oh I couldn't come I was there last week so you've got to make oh come on over just come on over you've got to make it so that they want to come and then keep your food simple that, that they can go home and say hmm well, if that's vegetarian cooking, if that's vegan eating, well, I can do this. We've made too much um, of our recipes. And I still go back to what, of course, maybe it's because I'm just a basic cook, to where this baked potato is vegan, spaghetti is vegan. You see, we don't have to use those words and scare people that, thinking that they, oh, I could never do that, I could never have them over, or anything like this, so that I... By keeping it simple, by uh, having it ready, I try to have everything ready on Friday. I work on Friday, too. I should tell you that I am the luckiest woman in the whole world because I uh, have uh, my one son is an oral surgeon, and my oldest grandson is an oral surgeon, and they're in the same office, and I still work for them. And I only work on Fridays. Now, that's a day that usually you think of cooking, cleaning, and all of this. No, I do that on Thursdays, except for my cleaning, except for my last-minute cooking. I do that in the afternoon. But I have worked for them for 18 years, and I'm not going to give it up. Uh, my son says when he retires, that I can retire. <laughs> so, so we just have uh, But you see, that's also a witness. It's a family witness, three of us in the same office, and he's, he never hesitates to say, this is my mother, um, you know, this type of thing. So that... Let me just say that we have a fellow that works with us. He's a physician, and although he's not a Seventh-day Adventist, in fact, he's an atheist, uh, he gets tears in his eyes every time he thinks of weavers. Um, and this is down in Georgia. They're up in Detroit, but the ministry. And so this is a powerful, uh, blended, united ministry. Uh, well, that's about all I have to say because I just want to just keep it simple. Have people over. They aren't going to care if you've dusted. They aren't going to care what you're serving them. But just open your home and be friendly. Thanks very much. <laughs> uh, well, this I is a mother in Israel. <laughs> My name is Edwin Neblett. And uh, I think Rhoda Canna is our next speaker. And while she comes up, I am also here to bear testimony to the difference that a godly woman can make in the life of any man who is willing to be led by God. And uh, I'm a living testimony to that as well. Rhoda, why don't you come and share with us what's on your heart? Well, I guess I appreciate this opportunity. <laughs> When Dr. Mills asked me, I said, what do you want me to talk about? Okay. 
But I'd like to begin, I guess, by directing our thoughts to Scripture. And I've been reading through the Bible probably the last two years. And I just, excuse me, I just do a chapter a day. Um, Because I'm not interested in getting through the Bible in a year. I'm interested in uh, knowing what the Lord has to tell me. So let's go to um, John chapter 1 where Lindy was. But I'd like to go to verse 4. It's speaking of John the Baptist. I'm sorry, it's verse 7. And verse 8. Speaking of John the Baptist, and it says, He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And... um, I feel that our homes are to do just that, to bear witness to to Christ, to the God that we serve, and to the person that we want in our lives. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus, and today, in our day, we are asked to be the forerunners because Jesus is coming again soon. And um, as I was reading just the previous day of the story that included the two men on the road to Emmaus where um, they, didn't kn- they were discussing the horrible things that had happened in Jerusalem, and Jesus came among them and um, explained to them that if they had been good Bible students, they would know that what had happened was supposed to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, when um, they had gotten to Emmaus, Jesus appeared to be going on his way, and they, they encouraged him to stop and abide with him because the night was far spent. And as we look at our world, I, I think we can say that the night is far spent, don't you? And that we really have a job to do in our homes and in our communities. About six years ago, we moved from North Carolina to Ardmore, Oklahoma, where, um, no, four years ago we moved, but six years ago the Lord started the process of us moving. Um, In our Bible studies, our separate Bible studies, my husband and I became increasingly uncomfortable with our employment in uh, North Carolina. He was a partner with 12 other neurologists, and uh, he just began to feel that um, he could not practice medicine the way the Lord wanted him to practice medicine there. They were very good Christian people, many of them Baptists, and um, they tolerated him very well as when he would take more time in sharing the health message with the people. But, of course, um, money was and making profit was very important to them. And we also had... Um, become partners with them. And in my Bible study, I just, I felt that that was the wrong thing to do, that we should not have become um, financially in a a business relationship with them. But the Lord impressed my husband in a different way that um, he needed to pull back. That business owned their own MRI machine, their own CT scanner. So they were um, very prolific, if that's right, term business it was going very well but we all know that the economy is not going to last forever 
And if it was to crash, then we were responsible because we were part of the 12. And so there were other things that were taking place that caused us to step back and say, you know, I, we are not supposed to be here any longer. <clears throat> and so at the time that we decided to look elsewhere, the Lord all of a sudden opened numerous opportunities for us to investigate. And one of them was with Dr. Mills, in, not with him, but in his city. And we ended up moving to Armour, Oklahoma, where he set up his uh, own practice. He's all by himself. And that has um, proposed many challenges because in North Carolina I had no involvement in the practice. I was able to do what I wanted to do. We have two children, and I homeschooled them, and I I was very busy, but not like I am now. (laughs) I have... Um, I, I was homeschooling them uh, until the, just this year. I was managing, I'm managing his office and trying to be wife and mother and keep everything oiled and greased, and it was quite a challenge for me. About two years ago, um, I was having worship with the kids in Cincinnati. ASI had just ended. Arvo had flown off to Chicago to... Um, write his board exam for recertification in neurology and I was at a, it was at a time when I was just so overwhelmed uh, with everything and I know that I'm, I had to have read this verse in the past but it was um, at this, and this morning that I was reading it, Psalm 138.8 where it says the Lord will perfect that which concerns me and I didn't know what that meant or how he would do it but I believe that um, he would put things back into perspective for us because life was crazy with me working so hard and and he's the only neurologist in town and the practice is extremely busy and there were um, many struggles that we went through uh, and um, I'm 50% German, <laughs> and so I'm a very determined person, and I, um, I'm a very spirited person. And I had to uh, really spend a, spend a lot of time in prayer and Bible study. And um, through this process of perfection, we certainly haven't, or I certainly haven't arrived there yet, nor has our, our practice um, come to that point, but... In this process of perfection, I think the one thing that I have learned the most that I could maybe um, share with you is that I had to, um, even though intellectually I knew it, but I had to step back and allow my husband to be the spiritual leader that the Lord plans for our husbands to be in our families. And um, because I have a lot of opinions and I have... uh, uh, a lot of ways I, I think things ought to be done. And one of the things that I finally had to just step back and say and begin to do was to say, Lord, you placed my husband in the position as husband and father, and um, I'm going to pray that the decisions he makes for our family will be the right ones, and I'm going to back off. And that involved a trip to Kenya in the year 2004 where he really wanted to go on this mission trip. 
And when you're all by yourself and there's nobody, nobody to cover for you, it means that you have to shut the office down and you still have to pay your employees. You don't have any money coming in. And how are you going to make ends meet? And so he, we were planning to go to Kenya in 2004. And uh, at the very end, um, I probably, from a lot of pressure from me and just, you know, saying, how can we financially swing this? He, he, bet, he decided that we wouldn't go. And it was maybe two or three months later, he said, you know, that was a, a real lack of faith on my part. I need to just do what the Lord wants me to do and just let the chips fall where they may. So in um, the summer of 2005, there was an opportunity for him to go to for, for him to go to Ghana, and of course, um, he wanted all of us to go with him. And he went to the um, CEO of the hospital, and he really didn't ask permission. He just told him that he was going to be gone for three weeks, and that. Um, that he was just going to close the office down and there would be no neurologist to cover for that period of time. And so off we went to Ghana. And uh, like I said, it was very hard to just close the doors for that period of time and to hope that everything would go okay. When we, um, when we were there, I realized that, um, that this is the experience that um, we needed as a family to redirect us, to let us um, understand better that there is, a there is a world out there that is really hungry for the gospel. And so we, we went with global evangelism. He preached at a site. I preached at a site. And our, we have two children. One went with each. And it was just such a blessing uh, to our family that... Um, we, it was just something that we wanted to do every year. Well, this was in January of, of 2006 that we went to Ghana. And then when the India Project came on the forefront, I said I'd kind of like to go, and I jokingly said, but I'll just go with the kids and you can stay home and work. He said, oh, no, if, I'm, if you're going, I think we'll go too, or I'll go too. But then um, the more... We, he prayed about it, and the more he thought about it, he said, you know, I believe that God wants us to go to India. And I said, two mission trips in one year? Because, you know, it's thousands of dollars to get over there, plus lots of money to pay your employees. And, and uh, as I continued to question him and his decision, the Lord, I was reading through Luke at the time, and over and over in the chapters of um, Luke 11, verses well, chapters 11 through 14, the Lord reaffirmed to me that my, my, my purpose is to seek God and to not, to not worry about things of this earth that he will provide for us. And, um, and in this perfection process that the Lord takes all of us through, I just want to encourage you women to, to look at your husbands as priests of the home and to pray for them that they will make the decisions that are important for your family to be the right ones. What a blessing. This is particularly for the women, but I'm getting a big blessing out of this uh, myself. Um, 
The uh, next, the next person who will be sharing is a real close friend of our family's, and Dr. Kevin Bryant was my very closest friend in Wichita. Uh, he and his wife. This was the hardest for us to leave, and uh, so. What time is it, by the way? A quarter uh, till. Uh, we have uh, Sherilyn. Then we have Murray, we have uh, Irma, Irma, right? And we have Diane. Okay, you'll be sharing it uh, this afternoon. All right, Cheryl Lynn, if you would uh, uh, share, we have uh, five minutes per, uh, per testimony. Five. Well, you know, I was reminded this morning in my devotions that um, that I'm just the branch and Jesus is the vine. And I was so grateful for that because I thought, you know, I don't really have to worry about anything. I can just rest in him because he is the, the vine. And as we stay connected, we will have the... Holy Spirit that will fill us and nourish us and help us grow. And our growth um, can happen quite silently. Sometimes we can surprise ourselves when we look back through the years and we see what God has done in our lives and we think, oh, you know, I really can see the Lord working. And sometimes it's imperceptible to us because it's us, you know, and we don't maybe see it. But um, I'm just grateful to God this morning for all he's done in our family. Um, I was thinking um, more actually from the um, sharing aspect of outreach um, for uh, in the community, in our home. And, and all these things, I've just loved all of these things I've been hearing today. And I want to thank you for all of you that are willing to share. And um, as, um, as I've been studying... Um, God's word, I'm realizing more and more how the most important thing I could do for my home and my husband and my family is to have absolute surrender to the Lord. And as I have that surrender, then, then self is set aside. And then God can really work. You know, when I'm there still alive and trying to kick up my heels, things just don't go right. But, you know, when I allow God to just work through me, that's when I really see things happen. And so I praise God for that. And, you know, it's, um, to me, I just think of the beauty of that connection with the Lord that we have the privilege to have every day. And I think there were rocky times in my life where that connection would be sometimes not as continuous as it should be. And I still remember thinking when the children were small and, you know, I'd, I wouldn't always have my time with the Lord first thing in the morning. It might be throughout the day sometime. And I remember hearing other speakers share on that, thinking it's okay as long as you have it. You know, that's the main thing. And so that was always on my heart. And I thought, oh, Lord, I somehow I felt like I wasn't doing my part. But, you know... Um, when you have children in the home, you understand some of those things and how sometimes your nights and days can get turned around and, and then your, and your energies can get turned around as well. And, and you don't always get things done, maybe in the orderly way that you would like them to be. 
But um, so I sensed my greatest need was um, the Holy Spirit in helping me and refreshing me through this growing process. And and it just um, this one verse you mentioned about Adam and Eve and God coming and saying, "Where are you?" I still remember Phil's father sharing a sermon about that, and and I think about it often. And he said, um, "I still remember your dad. I can just hear his voice." And he'd say, "Where are you?" And and so that thought comes to me often in the morning when I'm studying. I'm thinking, "Okay, Lord is asking me, where are you this morning? Are you really with me? You know, or are you not? Are you just kind of you know not really steady this morning? Where are you as far as your love for others?" You know, and I and I was realizing my love for other people and really wanting them to be in the kingdom just wasn't what it should be. And I needed to have a deeper love for people. And and there were a lot of people around me that I knew God wanted me to minister to. And so um, uh, as we as the years went by at our little uh, church there in Wichita, we had the opportunity given to us to house different teachers um, that would that would teach at our little school and often it would be a new teacher every year for our middle grades and we would often cho- we would usually choose young unattached uh, females and by the end of the year they would usually be engaged and then we'd need to find another teacher for the next year and so you know it was it was great while we had them but then they'd be moving on but um I stepped out in faith to have uh, a teacher come and live with us, and I thought, you know, in my mind I kept thinking, how much extra work is this going to be? How much, you know, all, all these things. And you think, oh, then, you know, you really don't have your home to just yourself, and maybe that's going to be an imposition. And, and I just want to say that that was a way that that has been a way, because we have, still have a teacher this year. We've had a teacher the last, I think, six years in our home and everyone has taught me something special about the Lord and and the Lord is not only that the Lord teaches me things about myself and and I just he's taught me that I need to get rid of every species of selfishness in my life you know it's not um, it's just a continual growth and and as we come to the word every day and we feed on it and the and the spirit works in our lives he will he will show us exactly what we need to do and so i'm i'm glad that that the lord called us to open our home and that's been such a blessing and not only to us but to our children uh they've been able to be inspired by those that have stayed with us and they've learned life lessons from them as well that have been important for them at just precise moments in their lives when they have needed maybe a little instruction from somebody other than mom and dad. You know what I mean? And sometimes mom and dad, you know, just just don't really, you know, you won't, don't want to listen to them all the time. And, um, and so, so the uh, people in my husband's office have been people that we've been trying to get closer to and um, minister to. And I was just reminded again the other day of how important it is to be interested in people. Because I was at the office and um, one of the ladies that works there, she's one of the nurses and she fields most of the phone calls, a lot of the phone calls at the office for the nursing homes. My husband is in geriatric um, care, goes to about 12 different nursing homes in Wichita and um, has his little circuit that he goes and she was sitting there and and she wasn't really smiling much that day and I 
I said, well, Sundra, I said, how are you today? She goes, oh, I'm okay. And I said, and I don't know why, I just, I just was really thinking about her daughter. And I said, how is your daughter doing? And she said, oh. And then she just opened up for about the next 10 minutes, sharing with me what had been happening with, with her daughter, physically, problems she'd been having. And this is a lady that, that we've been trying to get into a study for years now. She went with us last year over Thanksgiving to on a Honduras mission trip. We went down there to Honduras, and it was wonderful. We were just thrilled that she wanted to go with this little Adventist group. And um, she, she really had a wonderful time. And just pray for her. She got to the Sabbath. She got to the studies my husband was giving her, and then um, she has just kind of turned off. And so we're still praying for her that she will really take it seriously and look at what she needs to do. There, there was another nurse in the office that, that Kevin ministered to, um, and then that we would have over for meals, and they, beca- they came, became members of the church, she and her husband. And then his transcriptionist also uh, we studied with, and she became a church member. Um, we have um, people that, I mean, we just keep trying to reach out to them. We'll have them over for um, Christmas um, gatherings at our home. Last year we had a nice meal for them, and we always share a Bible story and have prayer, and we talk about blessings that the God, has, God has given us through the years through the year and um they always seem to appreciate when we have those times together and they can see that um our home has had purpose and that um we really are striving you know to to have a relationship with the lord and in everything that we do and um so that's been a blessing for us we one year we we took um the chapter in Desire of Ages about Christ being born, and we just copied it off, tied it with ribbons, with a pretty red ribbon, and gave it out at our little Christmas gathering. And after that, let's see, Kevin had two, two at least, his uh, PA and then this nurse, Sandra, who's been taking the studies but has, has stopped for right now, um, they said, wow, that was good. You know, what, what, where did that come from? So then he was able to share and give them a desire of ages, you know, so they could read the book. And they've read the book, and they love the book. And so just little ways, you know, that we're trying to share with them. Then I guess when the book came out, Born to Die, we gave that then the next Christmas, or that was, what, two Christmases after. I can't keep them all straight. But anyway, um, just trying to find ways to share with them. And then, of course, in the community, we have the CHIP program. And that's been uh, something that has been good to share. Uh, I've been involved some with that, part of the cooking involved with that, um, and helping a few people. Uh, there's a lady that became, came into the church um, who really wanted to know more about how to eat well, but she this came during the summer before we had our chip class, which was in, I think, January at that time. And she goes, well, I really would like to know now how to get started. So I just had a little cooking school in my home, and that was fun. And Heidi was able to help me. And um, and our daughter, it made me think of my daughter when you made the comment that you did just a moment ago. Uh, she's always calling me. She said, Mom, I need this recipe, you know, because she's, she's been learning to cook for, oh, 20 to 30 kids, you know, and so she's been cooking for groups and um 
So that's been fun. She's, she's had a good experience, but I know my five minutes are over. So anyway, I probably took ten. But anyway, uh, it's just been a blessing to have our home open and to just um, keep that love in your heart for others and just be um, just kind of anticipating what God is going to do each day to bring someone to you that he wants you to speak to. And I just praise God for all the opportunities he's given me. Thank you. I apologize for uh, under-planning on, uh, on uh, this. Uh, Diane, you're next. Uh, what time is it? Okay. All right, Diane. There's a song. We have some friends who um, are involved in Munich music ministry, and, and there's a song um, talking about you may not have a second chance. And so every opportunity I try to seize, because you may not see this person again. Um, as you know, the health message is the right arm, the entering wedge. Um, in our office waiting room, we don't have any magazines, really. Um, we have the Amazing Facts, book one and two. We have some of the Bible Answers books. We have Neil Nedley's Depression and the uh, Proof Positive, uh, Natural Remedies books, things like that. So when people are sitting there, I see so many people look through this because they're just quick little facts, and you know they'll be nudging their husband and saying this. But in our practice. Um, they don't have to wait too long, so they usually don't get through too much material. And then we also have a literature rack, you know, with all these um, with other little books in there. Uh, we also have cookbooks in there, and uh, we also have some for sale. Um, and then my husband also has some DVDs and Ten Commandment books that he'll give out when um, he's with his patients. Um, also the Nedley Bars. Uh, this has also given us opportunity in our practice to um, teach natural remedies. You know, we've had some patients who've come in three kinds of antibiotics, and they want, um, you know, what else can be done? So I've had opportunity to give hydrotherapy pr- uh, treatments and pray with them, and they'll come back the next day, and they're so appreciative of, you know, something simple that can be done. Um, and, you know, charcoal for spider bites, cat bites, <laughs> other um, things like that. And um, in the practice, there's also, uh, we'll have a couple lists for people who come in who smoke. And, well, we haven't done smoking for a while, but if they're depressed or if they're interested in healthful living, vegetarian cooking, we'll put them on a list. And then we'll get um, a group of people together and and start a seminar. Um, Another thing I've done to help my husband, um, he'll call me frequently if I'm not in the office and say, um, you know, I have a patient with such and such. We have a patient who asked on tongues, and so I was able to send her out a little booklet on speaking in tongues and things like that. Um, We also have a pastor's wife of the Evangelical Free Church who works in our office, and uh, we've had several opportunities to talk to her for hours about different things. And we also attend a Bible study at that um, with the evangelical church members. And that has been a really blessing because you can see 
um, you have an opportunity to share what you believe, why you believe, to be able to study. Um, we've been doing cooking schools and depression, uh, cooking schools for probably uh, 15 years or more. And we did our first depression uh, seminar last uh, uh, winter. Um, and a couple of the other things I've done for um, uh, outreach. Uh, well, let me see, I'll skip through that here. Um, we've gone door to door. We have a new downlink in our area uh, from 3ABN, and we've gone door to door letting people know about that and that there's also health programs involved with that. And I'm also a nurse at, uh, for relief up in a, a, a hospital about 40 miles away, and I work there occasionally. And I've had uh, a lot of time there to spend with patients. I'm a discharge planner, so I'll usually visit most everybody. And I've had opportunities to pray with people and uh, talk to them about health and, uh, you know, that's been a really blessing, especially people who have a serious illness and they're dying. Um, another thing you can do uh, is uh, teach kids in Sabbath school, teach them the eight laws of health, tell them why it's important to drink water and you know, bring in a sheet and a basin and pour some root beer on it and say, you know, see, this doesn't come clean. You need to drink water. So there, there's so many things you can do um, and also give out small loaves of bread with Bible verse to the homeless or give them a meal, keep, keep some food in your car that you can hand out to somebody. But anyway, um, main thing is to find a need and fill it, whatever their need may be, to listen to the people. And uh, in Ministry of Healing, Jesus talks about how he desired their good, he met them where they are, uh, met their needs, and then said, come follow me. And if you don't know what to say, um, Exodus 4.12 talks about, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach you what thou shalt say. And I've claimed that promise, and he's always brought someone to you that you need. <laughs> oh, one, one more quick thing. Um, I've had an opportunity to go on. My mother's a cruiser. She loves to go on cruises. She's 75. And, and uh, last year we went for her birthday. And you, you always sit... It's so it's pretty crowded there for meals, and so you're always next to somebody. And I I prayed before my meal, and somebody mentioned a comment. Oh, are you a Christian? That opened up a lot of doors. So I people I have found on cruises are very open to gospel, and especially the workers, because a lot of them are from foreign countries: India, Mexico. Um, Romania, and they are so open and hungry for the gospel. I've let them left them literature and DVDs, and I mean, it's like, wow, you know, you're giving this to me. So um, you might want to keep that in mind too. <laughs> Cruises. <laughs> I've never been on a cruise, but I think cruises are an exercise of self-control, from what I've heard. Uh, our last two, would you mind doing this afternoon at our afternoon session? We'll plan on doing it then. This afternoon session, we're going to be talking about how do you balance outreach and inreach. You know, you can't share what you don't have. How do you balance raising a family, a godly family, 
along with your outreach to the community. Also, I have to tell you, who is in charge of the religious instruction in your home anyway? Is it only mom? Is it dad? Who is it? How do you balance this out? So if you want to encourage some of you wives, your husbands to join this afternoon, you'll want to bring them in here as well. So what we would like to do is to close with a word of prayer. We'll begin this afternoon with uh, my wife and I sharing, my wife Maria and I, and uh, how do we balance our outreach, which I love doing with raising godly children. And it's a very uh, interesting uh, case study. So we'll share with you that, and we'll also have the rest of our ladies sharing this afternoon as well. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, there is much for you to teach us, Lord, as we reach out to a world who does not know you. Help us to understand the principles that have been shared here today. Help us to put them in practice in a God-honoring way that we, with our families, with our children, with our loved ones, can be waiting for you when you come soon, as well as those who have heard the good news of your soon return. And Lord, we are thankful that we can participate in this great work together. In Jesus' name, amen.